Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day. Another chance to gather together like this in unity of the faith as your children. Help us not take this time for granted. We thank you that we're able to do this in a free country as well without any threats of violence like go on overseas all the time. We ask that you help us right now block out our lives, the details of our lives. Whatever problems we have, we hand them over to you. And we ask that you help us concentrate on your word through your spirit. Most of all, Father, we're thankful and grateful for your son every day for what he did once for all for us on the cross 2,000 years ago so that we could have eternal life through him. Father, please bless this message. Guide us by your spirit and help us see what you have for us today. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. The Peaceful Fruit of Righteousness, Part 8. We'll see how much longer this uh, series goes for, but some good things to review from Sunday that the Spirit brought out. And one very simple, gentle reminder we got on Sunday, we'll start with today on the board. Always remember that God's timing is always perfect. Always remember that God's timing is always perfect. It's real easy to um, lose sight of the big picture. God has everything orchestrated. Even with our mistakes mixed in there, He has everything mapped out for us, even ahead of time. And that includes what's being taught behind the pulpit, um, what He leads us in, uh, in whatever form of teaching, even our Bible reading, as we'll see tonight. So the Spirit brought this up on Sunday. Uh, even when your pastor's on vacation, and I think most of you believe this, but the Spirit's still at work. And He knows what He's going to mix into the teaching or, or how, he's, how He's going to mix things together. Um, so, just big picture, we'd be wise to always ask ourselves, why is this topic coming up now? What do I have to be aware of in this area? In other words, we all should be thinking big picture all the time. We shouldn't have to rely on pastor to remind us to look at the big picture. Or why, uh, why is this subject being taught right now? As we come to our own convictions, we should always be thinking big picture. So why is he doing it the way he's doing it? Why is the Spirit bringing these things up at this time? And God's timing is always perfect. So never forget that, and therefore that can lead you down the right path as you dwell on the subjects that he brings to us. And as Pastor so wonderfully reminded us on Sunday, it's the spirit of our great shepherd that's guiding our curriculum to God's glory in our lives. So this was a point that came up that Pastor reviewed on Sunday from the week prior on why is our hope so certain. Do we carry a certain definite unwavering hope within us on a regular basis. The Lord wants us to continue to seek Him so that our personal confidence in His salvation is ever on the increase within us. And the Spirit grabbed our pastor's attention with this phrase, His salvation. And there is no other salvation, we know, if we're in the Word of God. All goodness all deliverance, all forms of salvation belong to God alone, to the one that created all things and the one that remains in control over life itself. How, how we forget sometimes as we get wrapped up in the, in the world or even, even wrapped up in the weeds of the Word of God. Sometimes we get too deep and we lose sight of that big picture. And we can forget that God is in control. God gave us life. God can take our life any day that He chooses. He can snap your heartstring right now if He chooses to take you home right now. And we forget that that's how um, delicate and also how powerful 
the situation is, that we are in God's hands like that 100% of the time. And therefore, all salvation, all deliverance, any form of life itself is through him. And this phrase, his salvation, really caught pastor's eyes, you know. Um, only God has the power to deliver any of us in any way, really. And that's why to receive his salvation, humility is required. It's his salvation. How else can you receive it? Like, what can you do to receive it if it's his? All you can do is be willing, as we've been studying. Someone must deny their own salvation or their own attempts at deliverance, any attempt at saving self or doing it their own way. They must humbly turn to him as the way, as we know. But this, this goes on in our spiritual walk. This goes on in our spiritual walk in terms of our daily deliverance, in terms of experiencing what God has for us. He is our salvation and our hope, as we've seen. And coincidentally, uh, just yesterday morning, I read Psalm 91. And do any of you want to guess how it ends? Feel free to take a guess if you want. There's a hint on the board, I think. Yeah. Psalm 91 ends in God saying, my salvation. That is his salvation. And so we're going to take that from the Spirit and read that together to begin tonight. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 91. Coincidentally, right? It's just wonderful to watch the Spirit orchestrate all this stuff. And um, even with our missteps and all that, he, he knows <laughs> even after our failures where we're going to turn in our Bibles and like it's all just so interwoven, um, so supernaturally, despite ourselves. And this psalm, as we're going to see, it also brings together God's protection and salvation of those that choose to take refuge in Him, which we talked about last week in our series. So look at Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Do you remember the Spirit had us read last week Psalm 73 about the wicked prospering and, and not being jealous of the wicked, knowing their unfortunate end, right? Those that are against God. But in verse 8, you will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. And this is a quote. See the quotations at the beginning of verse 14? This is now God speaking. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. So again, salvation belongs to God alone. And here it also talks about deliverance throughout life, what we might call experiential sanctification or salvation. 
Again, notice God calls it at the end of verse 16, my salvation. And this is a major point from Sunday morning on the board. Sanctification in a nutshell. The only perspective we can have that delivers us unto his peace is to fully apprehend his salvation. This is a lifelong journey, right? Nobody ever fully apprehends his salvation in this life. But we can get closer and closer and closer. If we want to, if we're willing, if we're humble, we can get closer and closer and closer to grasping his salvation and therefore his peace. So let's look at these verses again real quick. Um, on the board, Isaiah 26.3. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Notice the theme and the connection there too. The word trust is happening a lot, even in the Psalm 91 we just read. The one who keeps on trusting in the Lord is going to be blessed. On the board, John 16.33, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So will you take courage as a form of trusting God? Will you take courage and therefore enjoy the peace that God's desiring you to share with Him? Will you take courage trusting that He's overcome the world? Or will you be in despair every day, doubting that He's overcome the world? Again, these things are so intimately interwoven Things like faith, like trusting, and hope, and peace. They're spiritually, supernaturally interwoven. But we decide, you know, are we going to have faith or not? And when we don't have enough, we decide if we ask God for more faith or not. And He will give to those that are willing, right? So we have to ask ourselves these big questions, these important questions. This is about his salvation, and it's his deliverance to give. And he's dying to give it. He wants so badly to give it to everybody. Again, on the board, sanctification in a nutshell, the only perspective we can have that delivers us unto his peace is to fully apprehend his salvation. Uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.16. In other words, we've got to get it. You know, if we don't get it, we're not going to get his peace. We're not going to see that. So how do we get it? There's only one way to get it, to keep seeking. To keep seeking to know Christ better through his word. Knowing that his spirit is with us every step of the way. And then follows things like deliverance and peace that God wants us to enjoy. First uh, Thessalonians 5:16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Notice that wording there. I mean, that's like deep stuff. There's a lot there. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Why is that word himself in there? I mean, doesn't it make sense to, isn't it enough to say the God of peace sanctify you? May the God of peace sanctify you? May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. What's he going to bring to pass? Isn't it our salvation? Isn't it his salvation? So it's, again, as pastor's been preaching, you know, for years now really, it's not just the moment of salvation, but all life is living out salvation and being saved every day. And then there's the ultimate sanctification and ultimate salvation experience in heaven. So God's going to bring all this to pass. 
what? His salvation. It's not even ours, really. It's ours as a gift. It's His as the source. Go to uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.16. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. And notice the wording again. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Once again, why is that word in there? Maybe because it's his salvation. Maybe it's extra emphasis, I don't know. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Even the peace we seek, the only true peace in the universe, comes only from the Lord himself and his salvation. It's his peace, and he's the source of all goodness. Pretty simple. We also have seen that the Lord, the source of all goodness, also always does what is right. And that's why the Father said about the Lord on the board, about the righteous one, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 3, 17b. The Lord, the Father was so pleased with the Son because He was perfectly righteous. He always did the right thing. And so God, the Father, could say this without any apprehension, you know, um, where He couldn't, say this about us, not right now, in this life. But he was so pleased with the Lord because he was the perfectly righteous person. And he stayed that way. He always, always, always did the right thing. And this phrase, as you know, is said several times throughout the New Testament about Jesus by the Father. Christ's perfect righteousness brought him perfect peace with the Father. It's not a mystery. None of us can be perfect, but we learn from this that by living in righteousness, it pleases the Father. It's a very simple formula. What father doesn't ask his children to do the right thing? And what father is not pleased when his child does the right thing? Very simple relationship. And that's how we have a peaceful relationship with God. Peaceful relationship. We were offered peace at salvation through Christ. But how do we experience this peaceful relationship with God? Nothing between us kind of a thing. How do we have a clear conscience, for example? Because we do our best to do the right thing. God knows the heart. And when we sin, we actually go to Him and repent. What a concept, right? What happens? The air is cleared immediately. What happens? You have a clear conscience because you're doing the right thing. And God knows if that's your heart, if that's what, what you're doing and why you're doing it. So there's peace. Even as you stumble and fall, you can have a peaceful relationship. Habitually, we're talking about lifestyle here, living in righteousness. And then eventually we get that peaceful fruit of righteousness that we're talking about. So let's allow the Lord himself to be our example to us on the board. Our Lord always did and always does what is right. He lived in perfect righteousness. His perfect obedience made him the perfect son and the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14, Hebrews 12, 11. And what came out on Sunday regarding this was just to think about the Lord's lifestyle choices as a man. Think about him walking the earth for 33 years. He never sinned. Think about his daily lifestyle choices as a man. The things he resisted, the things he chose to do that were good. Always being right. But that's why Christ had perfect peace and has perfect peace. Christ's perfect peace came from his perfect obedience, which is all motivated by perfect love for the Father. See the connection. The Spirit wants us to see the connection. It's simple, but it's a, it's a clear path. It's a direct path. Where, where does experiencing peace come from? It comes from obedience. Where does obedience come from? 
true obedience really only comes from love for God. We can have that forced obedience, you know what I mean? We can have that, I'm going to do it because I know I should do it, even though I don't really want to do it, attitude. Uh, we all have that sometimes. But where does true obedience come from? It's because you love someone that you obey them. And so that's where God's, again, continually taken us to. As we grow, He's so patient with us. The Spirit's been telling us the way to find the peace of Christ is through the Word of God. And that's our treasure map, literally. Not for earthly treasure. We don't care about earthly treasure. But for true treasure. Things that are eternal. And what's the conclusion? The conclusion is it's His salvation alone that leads us into hope and peace. Acts 4.12, turn in your Bibles again to Acts 4.12. It's His salvation alone that leads us into hope and peace. There's no other way. Even as believers, we try to kick doors down in our lives. We try to come up with our own ways to hope and peace so that we can have, you know, both sides of the coin. Um, living on the fence even. But it's His salvation alone that leads us to hope and peace. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And we receive His salvation when we're willing. Both at the moment of eternal life, when we were first placed, when we first placed our trust in Christ, and at the daily deliverance we receive when we willingly walk with Him. On Sunday, the Spirit made the point that some things come in inseparable pairs. Um, an interesting concept that, looking back on it now, maybe you can see more clearly. We must be willing to keep these pairs together, not seeking one without the other. Because if we do that, really we're self-seeking, if you think about it. We want God on our terms. And that's, that, that game is never going to work, as we know, from personal experience. Peace is not found that way. Again, we must be willing to keep these pairs together in our lives, in our active lives. You know the thing we live out every day? As Pastor mentioned on the board, regarding inseparable pairs, the greatest example we've studied over the past few years is with salvation itself, and that it is both repentance and faith that leads to salvation. That one without the other produces some kind of counterfeit Christianity. It's really interesting how many things scripturally come like this in pairs. He gave us more examples such as knowledge and wisdom, such as forgiveness and love, and love and compassion. You really can't have one without the other. You really can't. You can claim to have one without the other. But if one is absent, something's wrong. It's some kind of a counterfeit, as Pastor brought out. It's some kind of a counterfeit. Um, Some of these things can't be possessed by themselves, alone. And this is something Spirit has been working out in our souls, whether we realize it or not. And that's cool too. Again, 2020 is great, right? You can always look back and say, ah, now I see it. You know, and that's the pastor's job too, to bring these things out to the forefront and help us see the big picture, help us see these things. But the Spirit's been doing this, whether we know it or not, showing us how these things have to stay together. They have to stay bound to, to work and to be real and to have substance. For example, how about peace and obedience? That's been the tandem that's been coming out in this series. How many of us want peace but reject obedience? Right? We want it our own way. So are you saying you want Christ's peace without following Him? Yep, that's what I'm saying. I'm going to try that for a few years. That's what, that's what you're trying to do if you're trying to get peace without obedience to the Word. How does that work, right? 
Life wasn't designed that way. These things come in pairs. Experiencing God's peace will not come without obedience to God's ways. And God, remember, as we get a little bit arrogant, God has the monopoly on true peace. There's no other place it can come from in this world, in this sinful world. There's no other place it can come from. He has the monopoly. Same thing with true love, what love really is. He's the one who possesses and has it to give. So until we surrender, He can't give it to us. And we can't even receive it. We can't even appreciate it. God, as our loving Father, also won't allow a counterfeit peace to work for you. He won't allow a counterfeit peace in this world to make us happy. And that's grace. Even though we strive and, you know, try to kick the doors down, He won't allow counterfeit pieces to give us any contentment. So this point also came up on Sunday about inseparable pairs on the board. Peace comes to us when every divinely ordained pair is in place. Possession of only one half of such a pair leads us away from peace. And Pastor's heart was pleading with us to spend some real time thinking about this concept. Hopefully you did. Like, what are the apparent contradictions in our lives? And these are really, like, again, some more intruding questions from the Spirit. These are really um, rubber-meets-the-road kind of questions. And God is trying to get, remember, God, in His grace, is trying to empty out the garbage in our souls. We get a lot of it. We get a lot of it. A lot more than we think, right? We, just when we think we're <laughs> almost cleaned out, God opens up another closet. And we're like, wow, I didn't know that was there. And only when we're ready to handle it, you know, His grace and mercy, He shows it to us. But these questions came up on Sunday, like what are the apparent contradictions in our lives? In our lives, our actual lives that we live. Because we say, we say the right thing very easily, we go out there and even fool ourselves to say, I'm, you know, I'm living the spiritual life while we're dabbling in this and that on a habitual basis. So we got to be honest if we want to grow and be set free. Some of the questions posed to us were, do we claim a life in Christ, but our lifestyles prove something entirely different? That's for each of us to examine and repent from if we need to. How about this one? Are we clinging to a counterfeit peace that was granted to us from the kingdom of darkness? Some form of counterfeit peace maybe from the world, um, maybe even a blessing we got the wrong way. And we, we won't drop that because we, we're actually relying on that for peace, if we're honest. We're trying to gain contentment or happiness through that thing. And how about this one? And this one really hit me between the eyes. Are you in love, but not with Christ, but with someone or something of the world? Maybe some idea even. You're in love with some idea, some concept. Are you in love, but not with Christ, but with someone or something of the world? Maybe even some idea even. Remember the end of Psalm 91 that we just read. The characteristic scene was love for God. This is what God wants from us. God said in Psalm 91, 14 through 16, Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. As we know, love is the great motivation. Love is what motivates obedience and righteousness even. So what love is our heart set on? I mean, this is a painful question because if you really honestly examine yourself, and you examine what you 
what you cling to or what you look to in your heart. You may not even be physically doing it out there in the world, like literally going after something. But what is your heart picturing, you know, imagining? What is your heart going to? What are the eyes of your heart going to in your soul for peace besides the Lord? So on the board, let's call it seeking love. Is it something or someone in the world that our affections are attached to? An idea even? Or are we happy with Christ as our love? Are we willing to let Him satisfy our soul? Or fill our cup, as the analogy goes? Another way the Spirit has put it is, where do we set our hope? From last week. Where do we set our hope? Where do we place our hope? If hope was a thing, okay, a little statue like an Oscar statue, where do we place our hope? In whose pile, you know, do we place it in? In whose territory do we place it in? It's all happening in our soul. What hope is our heart set on? Again, on the board, is it something, someone, or someone in the world that our affections are attached to? Or are we happy with Christ as our love? Are we willing to let Him satisfy our soul and fill our cup? We won't have true peace without this type of willingness or surrender to Christ alone in our daily lives even. Admitting that on the board, Jesus is our anchor. He's the only anchor. He is our hope, as we talked about last week. He is our salvation. We were given a humble reminder on Sunday in a passage in Romans. Go to Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. This is all very humbling stuff, isn't it? I mean, if you are honestly willing to think about it for yourself. Um, because we never arrive and we always have these areas that our soul is not too pretty. It's kind of dirty. We muck it up, and it's disgusting, really. But thank God he doesn't, again, show it to us all at once. So, you know, let this type of stuff humble humble you into uh, maybe a further willingness or surrender to him. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. What are we exulting about in God? This peace. Reconciliation means peace with God. You mean I have peace with God now through Christ? Like, we're good? Yeah. <laughs> we're totally good. Now, we won't experience His peace until we live in it, until we live in the Word, but that's what we're celebrating, this reconciliation that was given to us when we placed our trust in Christ. And that's the peace we can experience if we obey the word. But again, a key question is, do we allow the one who purchased this peace for us, do we allow him to fill our cup every day? The answer is invariably no. We don't. Do we exult in God for his salvation? Like it says in verse 11, do we exult in God every day for his salvation? On the board, this analogy came up on Sunday. Imagine your emotions are the weight of a cup with your name on it. Who and what do you allow to fill it? Who and what do you allow to fill it? You allow something. Whether you want to or not, you're allowing something in your life. It's like make, not making a decision about something. If you don't make a decision, you just made a decision. 
that you're not going to do anything about something, right? So you're allowing something in your life to be part of your life or influence your life. Imagine your emotions are the weight of a cup with your name on it. Who and what do you allow to fill it? God says, let me fill this cup for you with more and more of me and my son. And follow me and, and you'll be blessed. In a perfect world, if our flesh never got in the way, we'd be full of wonderful emotions all the time, appreciating and celebrating God. Kind of like, you know, in the days of David, you picture them dancing and singing up and down the streets. They didn't do this all the time, right? But there's a good visual of them blowing the trumpets and singing and dancing around, just giving glory to God. That's what we are supposed to be doing in our souls, regardless of circumstances. Work, school, family, wherever, whatever, whatever we're doing in our soul, this is the peace God wants us to be enjoying. Because guess what? He gave us His salvation. We're to exult in God. So without the flesh, this is what we'd be, we'd be doing all the time, right? We'd be constantly celebrating in our hearts regardless of what we're doing throughout the day. But the kingdom of darkness fights for our attention in this world, and our flesh is too often a willing participant. We allow it. As Pastor said on Sunday, he did a little, you know, play acting with the world, flirting with the world. We allow it. We even play hard to get. Oh, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. All right, okay, come on. All right, I'll allow it this time but only this time. These are the things, we, the games we play in our heads, in our souls, and we're playing with fire. We're, we're, we're playing with our heart, which to God is very valuable. And He wants us to guard our hearts, as the Scripture says. So what do we do? We fill up our cup with ungodly emotions, looking for quick fixes, quick counterfeits to satisfy our desires, for the emotion of peace. Don't we? Be honest. I'm guilty as charged. I'm like, why am I looking in this direction? Not literally with my eyes, but in my soul. Why am I looking in this direction right now? Why am I considering this as a way to get some kind of relief or peace? When if I stop for a second, I can see that's not really godly. It's not looking to Christ as the source of love and the source of peace. So we experience a mix of emotions because of that. We get this truth and lies in our soul. We keep mixing both together, hoping they'll mix together, but they're like oil and vinegar, you know, and it's just not comfortable. So thus you live, we live in a life of mixed emotions. And it's really our own arrogance and selfishness that leads us to ruin our peace with God. I again think about how if right now we, and this, we can't use this as a cop-out, but we know that in our generation with technology and such, things are intensified. Um, distractions are intensified. Temptations are intensified. Things that take us away from living a life of just simple love and peace with family, with friends, with church, family, whatever, right? Rather than being taken over by different forms of media. Um, but in the end, we allow it, you know? It's our arrogance and selfishness saying, I'm going to look for another form of peace, God. I'll be back tomorrow, or I'll be back on Sunday, but I'm going to go look for another form of peace right now. The Spirit's been telling us on the board, solid hope in Jesus leaves us with a single emotion, and that is peace. We won't be perfect, but solid hope, your hab habitual lifestyle of surrender, solid hope in Jesus as the only way and the only hope you have is going to leave us with a single emotion that we can rest in, and that is peace. As we place our hope each day in Him alone, we adopt His perspective on life, which Jesus enjoyed each day. For example, loving and helping people on this earth. 
Think about Jesus walking the earth right now. Think about when he was on earth. He enjoyed each day of living as a gift, and he enjoyed it as an opportunity to bring glory to the Father. Why don't we? Why don't we adopt his perspective? We need the word each day to adopt God's perspective on life itself, our attitude towards life. This came up on Sunday too. What's our attitude about life? Do we fall into a fleshly perspective and be negative about life? Or do we say, like Jesus would probably say, life is good. Your life has meaning and purpose. It has divine and eternal value and purpose. Are you going to live it and bring God glory? Or are you going to choose to be blinded by the things of the world? Let's survey a few scriptures about how life was meant to be by God. Um, Turn in your Bibles to John 1, verse 1. John 1, 1. I mean, if you found Jesus Christ, or he found you, and you said yes, if he's your Lord and Savior right now, um, you know the purpose to life that you've been, you were seeking your whole life until you met him. You know the purpose of life. Most people, not, not most, I don't know, who knows, right? A lot of people don't know the purpose to life. Can't we rest now that we have the purpose to life? Why do we kick and scream and fight against it? We're like, I know I'm alive. This isn't going to be a waste. This isn't going to be a despair at the end, a, a, a dead-end road. I actually can do things that impact eternity. And have a hand in saving people? Maybe it's so crazy to us that we resist it. We think, oh, it can't be. God wants me? No. I don't know. The things we say and and do to ourselves. But let's just survey a few scriptures on on a viewpoint about life. Okay? Uh, John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That includes you, my friends. Nothing came into being that has come into being apart from him. So that means God chose you to have life and even gave you a destiny and a purpose. Go to John 6.63. John 6.63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. So the Spirit gives life. If you're alive right now, if you have this thing called life, it was given to you by the Spirit of God. And of course, nothing he does is in vain. Useless or empty or meaningless. And on the board, look at Romans 8, 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. So where's your mind set every day? What's it set on? Where do you place your hope? In whose territory, the flesh or the spirit? The mind set on the flesh is death. Stop thinking negatively about life. We can have peace in any circumstance, folks. We should be exalting God in our souls, even in a pile of cow dung, if that's where God puts us one day. Maybe instead of crying, we'll laugh. You know how somebody slips and falls, like right in a, you know, really good. And you're laughing because you're not the one in the, but you could be laughing even if you're the one in the, you know, you could be because you have his peace. You have his uh, mindset about life. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So that determines what we experience. 
where our mind is set is what determines what we experience. Is it going to be death or life? Is it going to be chaos or peace? A daily choice. Go to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6. And we can have such simple um, things to focus on that will direct us in our day and answer our questions, as we'll see at the end of this passage. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. There's the faith of a child, folks. Because does it get any simpler to have a focus? You're like, what should my mind be set on? How about being pleasing to God? Anyone can do it. You can't really confuse that, right? You can't really complicate that. My goal is to be pleasing to God wherever he puts me. The point the Spirit made through pastor on Sunday on the board if our cup is filled with a mixture of truth and lies, then we ought to expect that our emotions will be mixed as well. We shouldn't be surprised when we're emotionally unstable, when we don't have his peace controlling our soul on a regular basis. It's living in the righteousness of God that produces stability in our lives. It's not a secret formula. It's not a you don't have to be a chemist to figure this out and go to college and get a degree. It's living in the righteousness of God that produces stability in our lives and peace. God's desire for the lives of his children is to experience his peace and hope every day. Every day. A little more and a little more and a little more on an increasing basis. So on the board, regarding peaceful fruit, our access to divine peace is not a function of fruit, strictly speaking, but rather a function of being in Christ, in God, in the sphere of peace itself. Peace is a transcendent, a state of being, of living, of abiding experientially. Just look at that phrase again. Peace is a transcendent, <coughs> excuse me, a state of being, of living, of abiding experientially. When we received Christ in us, we were given access to this peace, his peace. And we've also been noting peace is the fruit of being righteous. Again, it's not rocket science. In this life, there's always the other side of the coin, though, to watch out for, as long as we're in this flesh. And we've been calling that earthly righteousness. No matter how earnestly it is practiced or even achieved, earthly righteousness has no part in God's peace. We believers receive his peace as a function of bearing fruit of righteousness. Simple. You might remember two weeks ago now, a special video pastor had us watch from a man named Ravi Zacharias. And it was regarding apologetics in the 21st century. It was about dealing with today's forms of spirituality, which are largely now subjective and seek their own form of peace on self's terms. So I want to share with you a quote from a book by this same gentleman, and I believe it applies to what we're discussing in several ways. It seems the Spirit is even bringing evangelism into our discussion about hope and peace. And that makes sense if you think about it, as we might share with others the very plain truth that you will not find true peace or possess real hope without a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That might be a very plain statement you share with someone when you're giving them the gospel. 
and they're off in La La Land in some spiritual journey of their own, even making stuff up. And, and this is what's happening in the quote-unquote spiritual world today. So here's the quote from Mr. Zacharias from a book called Why Jesus? Our destiny is in a relationship to a person, not in a pilgrimage to a place. Our purpose is in communion with the living God, not in union with an impersonal idea or nameless higher power. Such categorization is intellectual cowardice. And then he says, access to an abstract power gives you no one to be grateful to in times of blessing and no one to question and receive comfort from in times of sorrow. A very interesting perspective and a very true statement. In other words, no one wants to be accountable to a God that has a name. And that's why people refuse to give him a name out there in, in the New Age spirituality thing going on. They'll say a higher power, they'll say maybe there is a God, but he's the way I picture him. And they make it very subjective, so there's no truth that you have to answer to. No one wants to submit to the sovereignty of God. Again, on the board, access to an abstract power gives you no one to be grateful to in times of blessing and no one to question and receive comfort from in times of sorrow. Think about how silly it is <clears throat> to have a God that there's no personal relationship with. If there is a God who created all this and, and created you, isn't there a reason? Isn't there a purpose? Or, no, let's just keep that aside so I don't have to be accountable. A lot of people foolishly think if they keep God at arm's length and don't call him by name, that they don't have to be accountable to him. But what they don't realize is that they will not and cannot find true peace and hope and love without him. And that's what Mr. Zechariah really is saying. There's something to dwell on as we continue to live our lives in obedience to the Great Commission. This perspective on the board. So, uh, as we begin to close here, as believers, we're disciplined by God at times. This is what we've been talking about, right? The peaceful fruit of righteousness comes from being trained by God's discipline. So as believers, we're disciplined by God at times to help us stay in line so that we can experience His peace in life. We each need His faithful discipline. Is that your perspective? Just think about that. We each need His faithful discipline. Do you admit you need it? Or are you in denial? We would be in self-destruction without His loving discipline. We would be, oh my God, we'd probably be dead. If not dead, we'd be in a pit somewhere or, you know, just in a horrible place with no actual life. Um, no relationships, none of that. We don't realize how much His faithful discipline over the years has already done for us. And maybe in heaven we'll get to see that, looking back. But we don't realize how much He's done for us, keeping us on the path, you know, with that rod and staff. Again, our Father in heaven, He wants what's best for us. And He knows what each of us need to get from point A to point B. He's trying to sanctify us, right? He's trying to get us to be more like Christ. He's trying to set us free and, you know, to live in the peace and enjoy the peace He's purchased for us. He knows what it takes to get you from point A to point B, me from point A to point B, every single individual He knows so intimately and uniquely well. So, why don't we trust Him for that? If He did the most for us at the cross which we just read in Romans 5, I think it was. If he did that while we were his enemies, why don't we trust that he's going to get us from point A to point B and his discipline is good for us? We are stubborn. On the board, Hebrews 12, 11 in the Amplified, 
For the time being, no discipline brings joy. Okay, that's fair, right? <laughs> Discipline's not usually fun, but it seems sad and painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, right standing with God, and a lifestyle and attitude that seeks conformity to God's will and purpose. So here's what we've learned on the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Peace is a function of righteousness. Righteousness is a function of obedience of faith. Both at salvation when it is imputed and experientially when it is imparted. Peace reigns in the heart and soul of God. Turn again to a wonderful passage that really just complements Hebrews 12:11 so nicely. Uh, go to James 3:13 as we close. Peace reigns in the heart and soul of God, and He wants us to enjoy it. But as long as we're disobedient, we cannot. James 3:13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Now let's... Pause for a minute. Ask yourself, in verse 16, it says where, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, right? Some of you are now saying, oh, that's not me. Ask yourself, not if you're jealous, but where you're jealous and how you're jealous. Because we all have a little jealousy in us. We all have a little coveting in us. We all compare, don't we? to the person next to us and saying, why don't we have that? Well, how come God didn't bless me that way? Psalm 73. Ask yourself, if you're not if you're jealous, but where and how you're jealous. Same thing with selfish ambition. Ask yourself, not if you're selfishly ambitious, where you're selfishly ambitious. It may just be in your heart, but that's kind of everything, isn't it? You may not actually be doing it, and going out there and executing what your sinful desires are, let's say. But in your heart, it's got you. It's, your affections are taken by it. And that could be a selfish ambition right there, whatever that thing is you're desiring to find peace in. And the Spirit is holding it off in your life, thank God. But let's be honest. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. There's chaos. There's mixed emotions. Disorder, not peace. But, in verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. What a beautiful statement. And notice again the intimate connection between peace and righteousness. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's another pair that seems inseparable in the Word of God. So dwell on that concept and we'll pick it up more on this, I'm sure, on Thursday. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time to gather together like this, to uh, exult in you and your word, Father, and your truth that sets us free when we humbly accept it. We thank you, Father, for your wonderful patience and love as a father, uh, for guiding us and being gentle with us, and also showing us the things we need to see in our own souls, Father, that we're clinging to. And Father, we ask that you help us uh, make Christ the love of our lives and our hearts. 
and to stop looking elsewhere for love. Help us, Father. We need more faith. We need more hope. Or you need you to take over our lives. Father, we thank you in advance for your faithfulness to this prayer. We ask that you bless us all as we go and help us bring these thoughts out to a lost and dying world that need it so desperately. We ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your spirit, we pray.